Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for church online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and, and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Pastors, the bishops of the house, um, you guys know who you are. Can we give a hand for your pastors? They are incredible. They're amazing. Um, so if you're a visitor and you're like, who's this guy? Come back next week. It's going to be awesome. We'll get one of the regulars up here. They're incredible. So you guys are so lucky. You have such incredible, um, godly um, men leading this church, men and women, and, and I'm excited to be here. Um, so my name is Pastor Skyler. I'm originally from Kentucky, so this is a bit of a homecoming. It's fun to be back. Come on, Kentucky. It's fun to be back in my old Kentucky home. Um, my wife and I, um, we're originally from Mayfield. We're not from Paducah, we're from Mayfield. That's all right. Paducah's cooler. I can say that now that I'm, I live in St. Louis. So we moved to St. Louis a few years ago, but before that, we lived um, in Murray, um, and I led a college ministry at Murray State University. We got any racers in the house? We got, we got a handful. All right, shoes up. Go racers. And so we went to Murray State. I led a college ministry there for, for a number of years. And it was awesome. Um, and then planted a church in Murray, Kentucky. Um, and then the Lord called me to St. Louis. And so I moved to St. Louis. I went and got my master's degree at Covenant Theological Seminary. So I went and got my master's in theological studies. I graduated in May. So I'm a free man. It feels great, right? It's awesome. And so over the last two and a half years, I've been pastoring um, at a church in St. Louis. So I was pastoring there for about two and a half years, and I graduated, and now my wife and I, were in a season of transition, and we're in the very, very early stages of beginning a church plant. So if you could pray for us, we would greatly appreciate that, because you guys, as a church plant, right, you guys know the challenges and the difficulties. So if you guys could pray for us, that would be absolutely incredible. But before I even jump into my message, um, my wife and I, before we moved to St. Louis, we actually visited uh, Rest Church, um, but it was when y'all were over at the other building. And so we visited there, and, and I was actually kind of in a season after a difficult string of some, some ministry uh, seasons, and, and I was really discouraged. Um, and so we were about to, to, I was about to move, and I was just kind of like, God, what are you doing in my life? And he was really pruning some things, and I was like, hey, let's just go to Rest Church and check it out, because I knew AB, and, and we came and, and it, was, uh, it was a couple years ago, so Reckless Love was the song that was just banging at the time, right? And so I remember it was like the end of the service, so you guys played Reckless Love, and I remember just sitting in the back row, just weeping, because I just felt the presence and the peace of God just fall on me. So that's, 
the, the, the memories that I have when I think of Rest Church, I think of the presence of God just falling on me when I needed it the most. So I really do truly love you guys. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump into our message. God, thank you so much for your grace and for your love and for your mercy. Thank you so much that you've given us this opportunity that we can gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can gather together and we can have a moment with you that we can set aside the difficulties of life. We can set aside the distractions and we can come into your presence here in this place. God, we are excited and we are expectant for what you are going to do in this place today. God, our hearts are open. Lord, and I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see you for who you are as our Father in heaven who loves us. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I forgot to mention, so I was raised charismatic, all right? So if you wanna say amen, if you wanna say holla at your boy, come on somebody, it won't scare me, go for it. All right, I like the feedback. One time I was preaching at a church in Louisville, Kentucky, and a woman stood up and said, preach, white boy. And I said, all right. I'll keep going, all right? So if you want to just, hey, whatever you got, throw it at me, all right? I'm ready. So have you ever been in a car with someone and you started to lose confidence in the driver's ability to get you where you're going safely? I, hey, husbands and wives, don't look at your spouse. I see a couple of y'all like, yeah, every time, right? You ever get into an Uber and then the guy makes a wrong turn and suddenly you're like, who are you? Where are you taking me? What are you gonna do with me, right? Or one time I was with my, my brother-in-law, Jeff, and he lives in Chicago, all right? Chicago drivers are crazy drivers. And so he picks me up at the train station. I'm probably like 12. And he picks me up downtown at the train station. I get into his car and he immediately in downtown Chicago is like weaving through traffic. And this guy is like my favorite person in the whole world. And suddenly I'm questioning his character because he's weaving through traffic. And I'm like, are you trying to kill me? Do you not value my life? Have you ever been in that situation before with someone? Lack of confidence in the driver or lack of confidence in the direction can lead to lack of confidence in the driver. Lack of confidence in the driving can lead to lack of confidence in the driver. And it's harder though when it seems that God is driving the car. Some of y'all are like, I know what that feels like. God, what are you doing? You feel like God just threw you in the back seat and then just started going 45, 50 miles an hour in downtown Chicago, weaving through traffic. And you're like, God, what are you doing? He put a dream in your heart. And he has plans for you. And then it seems like he missed the exit. And you're like, wait a second, what happened? What, do you not value my life? What happened? I thought we were buddies. Maybe you're wondering, why am I not married yet? Or I should be leading this organization by now, right? Maybe you work in an office. And you're like, I should be leading this. He shouldn't have that office. I should have that office. I know none of y'all, right? None of y'all have ever thought that, ever. Or you say, maybe I, I, I should be further along in my life than I, I should have things figured out. I should have a roadmap. I should have a plan. Why do I keep experiencing setbacks in my life? Why didn't I get the big break that that person got? I deserved it. I worked harder than they did. Why are they being advanced? And I feel like I'm always left out. God, I should be in success. 
I should be in the castle, but I feel like I'm in the cave. I feel like I'm wandering in the wilderness. Or worse, if you grew up in a religious home, right? Like, I've done all the right things, God, right? I'm, I'm at church every Sunday. I read my Bible every day. I got like my Bible, my coffee. I even put it on Instagram. Like, what more do you want from me? I'm doing all the right things. Why are you not giving me what I want? Why are you not taking me where I want to go? Anybody ever experienced that? What do we do when God doesn't give us what we want? What do we do when God messes up our plans? Well, let's look. We're going to be looking at the book of Exodus today. And so the people were captive. God is is setting them free. This is the movie moment. God's people have been enslaved in slavery for 400 years. God is leading them out. This is the big moment. God's leading them out and they leave. And God has promised them he is going to take them north to the promised land where they are going to exist. They're not going to be slaves, but they are going to be free. They're going to have their own nation and God is going to bless them. He's going to take them north. And if you want to go north, the quickest way north is, it's not a trick question, north, right? But instead, God takes them another way. They go through the wilderness. God takes them north by taking them south. Anybody else confused by this? This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then it says, God tells them to turn back towards Egypt by Piharoth and Migdal by the sea. Now, I know most of you are experts in ancient geography, and you're like, why would God do that? But if for those of you who aren't, he's having them turn around and go in a circle. He's having them wander around in the desert. How is that for leadership? God told Moses as his first act of leadership, as you're taking the people out of slavery, I want you to turn around and walk in circles so that Pharaoh says the wilderness has shut them in. God says, hey, Moses, lead your people in a way that confuses you and everybody else around you. This looks dumb. Pharaoh thinks that they're lost and the people, they're all going to think that you're lost. And I read this, and I have to wonder, why does God needlessly complicate their life? Why does God detour them in the desert? Why doesn't he just take them to the land that he promised them? Why doesn't he just take them north? And the text gives us three reasons, actually. And if we can understand why God did this to them, we can understand why God does it in our lives. So the question that I want to grapple with and wrestle with this morning is why does God ruin our lives? Well, let's go to Exodus. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. If you've got a Bible, hold it up and just smack somebody with it right up top of the head. Boom. Exodus 13, reading at verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, So Pharaoh's the bad guy. He's the leader of Egypt who's just been enslaving God's people. So when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way, excuse me, by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. God didn't take them the easy way, even though it was near. 
For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Listen to me here. This is important. Write this down if you're taking notes. You got to have a certain amount of notes to get into heaven, all right? Sorry. Hey, I'm just the messenger. Just kidding, just kidding. You just get better seats. One of the reasons that God will not take you directly to your dreams, hear me now, is frankly because you are not ready. Look at what God says. He didn't take them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near, because God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. The Philistines were warriors. The Israelites were slaves. They had no training. They had no battle skills. They had no military. They had no chance. So what's the saying is that God sees the obstacles ahead of them and in his mercy, God detours them in order to give them time, in order to begin to forge them into an army because when they enter the desert, they are a bunch of slaves. But when they leave the desert, they are a group of warriors. God is going to make them warriors, but it is in the heat of the desert that God builds their character. God detours you so that he can forge you. Look at your neighbor and tell him, God is detouring you because he's forging you. Heard a pup. Go ahead, you can say it. Heard a couple whispers. Tell it to him like you mean it. God's, he's detouring you, but he's just forging you right now. So have you ever been just been like scrolling on your phone on like Facebook, right? And you find a super random video and you end up watching like two Indian guys dig a pool with like sticks out in like the Amazon for like three hours. Everybody's like, yes. I wasn't listening until now and absolutely preach. And so one of these videos, I found one of these dudes making a knife. And I'm like, I don't know how to make a knife. So I should learn everything there is about making a knife, right? So I watched this like two hour video on this guy making a knife. Any of you guys know how a knife is made or how steel is is shaped and forged, right? Anybody? It's a piece of steel, a couple of people, right? So there's a piece of steel, right? And it's just kind of, it's not really the shape that you want it to be. It couldn't really do the thing that a knife does. You could maybe bop somebody on the head with it. It's not cutting anything. It's not sharp. So what a trained craftsman does is he puts it into an oven that is a thousand degrees Celsius. And he puts this piece of steel into a thousand degrees Celsius and he leaves it in there until every atom is on fire. And then he pulls it out and then he gets a hammer. And then he hits it and hits it and hits it and hits it and he shapes it. And then guess what he does is he puts it back into the furnace and then every atom is on fire and then he pulls it back out and then he hits it with a hammer over and over and over again. And he's beginning to forge this piece of steel into a useful hand in the craftsman. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm preaching right now. Y'all better give me an amen or something. What's your name, man? What is it? Nathan, you know what God's gonna do? God is going to put you in the furnace. And it's going to be hot. And you're going to be going, ah, ah, it's hot. God, why are you doing this? And then he's going to pull you out. And you're going to go, oh, thank God. Oh, boom, boom, boom. And then he's going to hammer you down. What about you, young lady? What's your name? What is it? 
Ireland, that is an awesome name. Ireland, you know what God's gonna do? He's gonna put you in the furnace and it's gonna be hot and you're gonna wanna quit and he's gonna pull you out and then he's gonna hammer you and then he's gonna put you back in the furnace and you're gonna go, God, why are you doing this? It's hot, it's uncomfortable, I don't enjoy this. And maybe you're wondering, why am I not married? Why do I, I have that fulfilling relationship? Why am I not leading this organization yet? Maybe it's because God is still forging you. In the right hands, the heat and the hammer forge that piece of steel into something sharp and strong and useful. And God is a master craftsman. And in his hands, he is shaping you and he is forging you. But it takes some heat. And sometimes it feels like you are taking a beating. But God is crafting you into a useful tool that he is going to use to build the kingdom of God. And so Deuteronomy 8 15 and 16 says this, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water? Who brought you water out of the flinty rock? Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might what? Humble you and test you to do you good in the end, right? It's, it's so funny. He goes, you know, who led you through that great and terrifying wilderness? Like even God's acknowledging. He's like, remember that time? It was horrible, right? But I did it for a reason. And it was to humble you. But also it was to do you good in the end. Why? He's forging them. God does this often in scripture. It's often. Look at David. He is anointed to be king as a teenager. And then he kills Goliath. And then he goes from being a shepherd boy. He marries the king's daughter. He's living in the palace. He's one step away from becoming king. And then he loses everything. He's sent to the wilderness for 10 years. God told him he would lead a nation. And now he's in the wilderness leading a band of about 20 men. But God has to teach him how to lead 20 before he can lead 200, before he can lead 2,000. And these 20 men actually became the cabinet that would later help him run the nation of Israel. But it is in the heat that he becomes King David, not in the palace. It's in the heat that he learns how to lead. It's in the heat that he learns strength. It's in the heat that he learns endurance. It's in the heat that he learns faith. It's in the trials that he develops the character needed that will allow him to be king. It's in the desert where he meets the people who will be his right-hand men. It is the wilderness. It is in the cave, not the castle, where David was made king. Don't wait for the castle to start being obedient to God, right? Don't wait for the, you say, all right, God, when you put me in this position, then I'll listen, right? When you give me that promotion, then I'll be obedient. Don't wait for the castle because God wants to shape you in the cave. Moses is told, I'm gonna liberate, God tells him you're gonna liberate my people. 
So then he shows up, kills a man, buries him, off to a bad start. So God's like, all right, let's rein it back in. Not quite ready for that, got a little carried away. So what I'm gonna do is you need to care for sheep in the wilderness for 40 years. God gets him ready to lead the nation in one of the most pivotal moments in Israel's history. He gets him ready to do that by caring for sheep faithfully for 40 years. Joseph gets a dream that he's gonna lead in government, right? So then what happens? He gets a job as an intern and he works his way to the top. No, he gets sold into slavery then goes to prison. That's not an impressive resume if you want to work in government. Like, hey, I see this gap on your resume. Where were you the last 10 years? Uh, funny story, um, I was in prison. Yeah, that's just not, doesn't sound great, right? But it's in the prison that he learns faithfulness when there is no applause. He learns faithfulness when there is no accolades. He learns how to be faithful to God when it seems that God has ruined his life. And after slavery in prison, then God elevates him and he becomes second in command only to the Pharaoh. God will lead you from A to B, sometimes through W. You know, God gave me a dream years and years ago that I would plant churches and thousands, millions of people would come hear the gospel. And so I planted a church and it failed. It didn't work. And I wondered, God, why was I, not, why was I not promoted? God, you put that dream in my heart. And God said, you have the talent, but not the character yet. I gotta put you in the furnace a little longer. You need to get hammered down a little bit more. And then I'm gonna put you back into the fire for a little bit more. And then I'm gonna use the hammer again, right? I was not ready. It's in the heat of the desert that God forges you. We got a, a picture from the Karate Kid. Anybody ever seen the Karate Kid? It's my favorite movie, right? This is a, a great picture of what God does to us sometimes, right? He Mr. Miyagi's us. Where God has given us a task and suddenly we find ourselves just sanding the floor, right? Right? You know, and we're waxing the car. And he's like, no, 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 don't wax the car like this. There's, there's a proper way to do it. Do it like this. What is it? Someone said it. Wax on, wax off. That's right, wax on, wax off. And, and, and Daniel's getting angry. He's like, you told me you were gonna teach me karate. And he's like, yeah, 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 come back, come back tomorrow. And then he's thinking he's gonna learn karate. And what does he learn to do? He learns how to paint the fence. And he's like, what are you doing? I thought, I'm, I'm coming here to learn karate. I'm coming here to learn how to fight. And then after a, a while of this, he eventually goes and he kind of challenges Mr. Miyagi and suddenly he's able to do the things he's able to block, he's able to punch, he's able to fight, right? That whole time he was being crafted and shaped. Sometimes God, Mr. Miyagi's us in the desert and we're wondering, God, why do you have me here doing this thing? Why am I not in charge? Why don't I seem to find these relationships? Why do other people seem to be happier than me? Why can't I catch a break? Maybe God is teaching you to paint a fence. And he's teaching you how to sand the floor. And he's teaching you 
how to wax the car, but ultimately he's teaching you the skills that you are going to need when God places you in the promised land. Second reason that God will ruin our lives. Let's continue in Exodus. Look at Exodus 14, 1 through 4. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and camp in front of Piharoth by Migdal in the sea in front of Baal You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Listen here, for Pharaoh will say of the people, they're wandering in the wilderness. The wilderness has shut them in. And then I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord and they did so. Now I'm reading this and I'm like, all right, if you're a player and this is your coach's plan, He said, all right, here's the plan. Get in, get in. All right, I want you to head out there. I want you to run around in circles, look lost. Everyone's gonna get confused. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go to the other team. I'm gonna tell them the plan. I'm gonna get them really ticked off at you and then I'm gonna send them after you. They have superior skill, superior talent, superior firepower. And then I'm gonna send you to a sea with no equipment to cross. And then I'm gonna surround you with a technologically advanced death machine. Ready, break. I'd be like, hold on, bad plan. Uh, I'm not, I don't agree. Can we go back to the marker board? Let's maybe draw something else up. I don't think I like this plan. But look at verse four. God says, I'm gonna do all that, but I'm gonna get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So perhaps God is detouring you for your good but more importantly, for his glory. That he is going to put you in a tough spot and then reveal his glory so that others can see him. What if God is detouring you because he wants to reveal his glory to those around you? What if God is saying, I'm gonna lead you in a way that when I show up, it is undeniable and others in your life are going to see me and they are going to see that I am God, that I am the Lord and give me glory. What if God said, I'm gonna ruin your life so that other people will come to me. I'm gonna ruin your plans so that I get the glory and others around you will know that I am the Lord. Because we pick up skills in the desert that God is gonna use to help other people. As people watch you struggle and trust God, that is going to birth trust in other people. As people watch you experience tragedy and loss and love God in the midst of it and continue to serve him, that is going to birth love in other people's hearts. And no, Pharaoh didn't, get saved, but years later, the prostitute Rahab says that she has heard about the God of Israel and his deeds. As people are going, they're they're gonna go to the town of Jericho and God's people, they send some spies and she hides the spies knowing that they're from Israel. And look at what she says. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two other kings, the Amorites, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God 
He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Look at this. Because of what God did in the lives of the Israelites years before, pushing them to the limits, then showing up miraculously, look at the effects that it had on those who are watching. She said their hearts were melted and she knew that the God of Israel, that that was the one true God. And then she joins the people of Israel and from her lineage, Jesus is born. You have no idea what God is doing in someone else's heart because of what he is doing in your life right now. Because people are watching. People are watching how you handle your season in the desert. People are watching how you handle your season wandering in the wilderness. They're looking at your life and I want that kind of story. I don't know about you. But I want that kind of story that God would get the glory as he sends me into the dark places. And maybe you are in a dark place this morning and perhaps you feel like God has hurt you. But what if, just what if, it's because he wants to reveal his glory to those around you. As you struggle, but as you remain faithful in the dark place. And you don't know, maybe 10, 20 years from now, someone's going to come up to you and they're going to thank you. Because they watched you love God. They watched you serve him faithfully in the hardest season of your life. And now because of that, that sparked faith in them. That is getting through them one of the toughest seasons of their life. You have no idea what God is doing in your season. God's going to use you. Do you trust him though? Because it may look a little different than what you prayed for. Will you trust him and believe Will you trust him when there's no spotlight? Will you trust him when there's no applause? Will you trust him when it seems that he is ruining your life? Will you trust him when he takes away? Because perhaps your detour in the desert is for his glory and for the sake of those around you. Lastly, God will ruin your life to grow your faith. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I just want to pause there. What? Consider it joy when you face trials of various kinds? Of, of various kinds. Not, hey, consider it joy whenever you like stub your toe. It's like, hey, when things are going really bad around you, when you lose your job, and you don't have any money in your bank account when your stomach's empty and you're hungry. Hey, consider a joy. Like, what? That makes no sense. But look what he says. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. One of my favorite professors in seminary, his name is uh, Dr. Dan Doriani, and he wrote an incredible commentary on James. And this past week I was reading it, and this is over this, this passage, this is what he says. He says, God fashions maturity by means of trials that befall us. Like, all right, thanks, God. Couldn't have picked another way. No, God fashions maturity in you by means of trials. But from our vantage point, he writes, most trials seem like tragedies or like accidents. Yet James tells us that we should rejoice for trials have 
purpose. They strengthen our faith. Come on, that's good news. Trials have purpose. That God is not putting you in the furnace for no reason. He's not hammering you for no reason. That that pain that you are experiencing is for a purpose. He's gonna put you in tough spots, but it's to grow your faith. He's gonna put you in spots where your faith wanes. God took the people out of Egypt. He led them to a dead end with, again, the most technologically advanced death machine right on their trail. They were shut in. They had nowhere to go. They, in their minds, were gonna be slaughtered and the survivors were gonna be taken back to Egypt and were gonna be slaves again. And then the Bible tells us, we're gonna read, they began to turn against Moses. They began to turn against their leaders. And the Bible says they said, it would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Look at what happens. So what they're saying is it would have been better to just stay as slaves than to listen to what God said because God told us to go and we went and now look at us. And have you been there in that situation? It would have been better, God, if you had just left me where I was. Why did you complicate things even more? But let's go to Exodus 14. We're gonna start at verse 21. We're gonna read, it's gonna be a lengthy passage, but... This is how we're wrapping up. So then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. They're being chased right now. And in the morning, watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces. And he threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned, covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the hosts of Israel that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So look what it says. The people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in Moses. And then verse 15, then they sang a song. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. They just watched a miracle occur. They just watched God do an impossible thing, save them from an impossible situation. And the only thing they can do is sing. 
I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, he is thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength, and he is my song, and he is my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Oh, come on. That's a, a, let's give God a hand clap. Woo! They were taken to the limit. They were at a dead end. They were going to be slaughtered. They were going to be massacred. And God said, not on my watch. And he parts the sea. They walk through it. He destroys the enemy. And what did that do in the people that witnessed it? They saw him. They respected God because they saw his power. But then they believed in him more than they ever had. And what is their response? It is to worship him. He put them in a place and he led them to the edge of their faith because whenever they trust him there, whenever they see him part the sea, when they see him show up, that builds them up. They went from crying and shouting at Moses to singing a song about how awesome God is and how he kicks everybody's butt. And that's what God wants to do for you. He wants to put a song on your lips where you will sing like the Israelites and you will say, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He is my salvation and I will exalt him. Sometimes God puts a dream in your heart, but he's got to ruin your life first. He has to take you out of your comfort zone. And most of the time, it hurts. But the pain that you are experiencing now, it's for a purpose. God is forging you. God is crafting you. God is shaping you. And God is building you up. And he wants to turn that fear that's in your heart. When you see the enemy running at you, he wants to turn that fear into faith. That whenever you see the enemy coming at you, when you see the obstacle coming at you, you stand there and you say, my God fights for me. My God fights my battles. He is my strength. He is my song. He is my salvation. Because if you trust him in the space of tension, he's gonna strengthen your faith. That whenever you see him part the seas, he's gonna give you a song to sing. But he's gonna do it for your good to reveal his glory and to build your faith if you continue to trust him. If you stay in the furnace, if you don't get out too early, you gotta stay in there. You gotta, every atom's gotta be on fire. You gotta stay in there. He has plans for you. Hear me now. He does. God loves you so much and he has incredible plans for you. You just might not be ready just yet. And he may detour you in the desert, but it is to prepare you for what he's prepared for you. Can I get an amen?